right, well, we're going to get started here. Let's get to work. So in case you haven't heard, we're going to starting a 21-day uh, fasting and prayer. That's something that just really everybody rallies around, right? They're like, woo, we're going to fast and pray. All right. And, uh, but it's something that's found in the scripture. It's very uh, evident throughout the Bible. And the type of fast that we're kind of calling the church, that we are calling the church to, is uh, we're doing a Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast is a founded course in the book of Daniel. And Daniel fasted and prayed twice, and he did it for 21 days. And what he did was he didn't eat meat, he didn't eat fermented grains, and he didn't eat sweets. And you can find that throughout the scripture. So he did eat, and he ate fruits, he ate vegetables, he ate nuts, and any kind of grain, I guess, that's not fermented. And uh, so he, he did that, and, and so we're doing a, a, a Daniel fast. And so essentially, people go, well, how can you make it simple? Sure, salads and smoothies for 21 days. That's pretty much it, you know. That's pretty straight up, you know, right at you. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. And we're trying to do this corporately. And so what we're asking you to do, we're asking you to participate in the fast with us according to your faith. Let's just say it together. According to my faith, so be it unto me. So what does that mean? If you're going to go hardcore and you want to go 21 days with us, we're, we're, we're down for that. You say, well, maybe you can do one day a week. All right, I'll do one day a week. Maybe you can do three days a week. Maybe you can fast on the Fridays where we're doing prayer. Maybe you can do something, but to plan something out, you know, and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I ended up doing one time, I did a 21-day fast, and I had no food for 21 days, basically. Um, I, that's not what we're asking you to do, but I did, like, hardcore fast, like, uh, and I ended up with 21 days. And I ended up at 21 days because I started off doing three days, and then I made it to three days, and I thought, oh, I can do four and then when I got to five, I'm like, I can do seven. And then when I got it to seven, I ended up doing 10. And then when I was at 10, I'm like, I'm going for 14. And then I got a 14, and then I ended up going 21 days. You know, so I've done, I've, and I've done that a few times. I've never done, I did one time 21 days straight up hardcore, uh, not even the Daniel fast. I ended up doing that. Uh, some fond memories of that. There was uh, uh, all kinds of food showing up in my house. Wow, is it raining out there, huh? It's like a downpour, huh? It's crazy. That's a good sign. I used to have a guy who was a friend of mine. He said, every time it rains, something good happens. That's, he used to say that every time. He said, every time it rains, something good happens. And so rain is actually a blessing in the scripture. So, um, so that's a blessing. Send the rain, Lord. Uh, so I ended up doing a fast, and, and it was during that sort of 21 days, no food fast. People would be showing up at my house with food and everything. And, you know, Beefsteak Charlie showed up at the workplace, giving out free subs, you know, for the first time ever. I'm like, yeah, I've never seen you people here before. What are you doing here? And they're like, oh, we got a new meatball sub. Hot mozzarella melted cheese, waving it under your nose. You're like, ah. Oh. Uh, so anyway, we're inviting you to do that because what we want to do during this fast is we want to be hungry for the things of heaven. We want to be hungry for the things of heaven. And a couple of things that you can realize, and we call you to be a student of the scripture, okay? I do not want people at Elevate to be ordinary Christians, if you want to be ordinary Christians, then you do not call you to be ordinary here. I do not want to produce, because the church is called to produce disciples for Jesus. And ultimately, it's the pastoral leadership responsibility to create the disciples that Jesus wants. That's the role of the pastor. Pastors are prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, apostles, to, to equip the saints to work the ministry, to prepare the people to serve the Lord. That's essentially the job. And so the job of the pastor leader, one of the jobs, is to prepare the people in their service and their commitment to the Lord. And I will be accountable for the type of disciple that I produce. 
as will all of the pastors who stand before the Lord. Not all should seek to be teachers, for such will face a stricter judgment. That's what the scripture says. So I will be examined, not just in reference to my faith. There's not a condemnation, but it's an issue of my faithfulness to the Lord in producing the types of people that Jesus wants. And that's what I strive to do. And I know that Jesus wants high, committed followers. He's not looking for attenders. I can tell you what Jesus wants. He wants ravenously hungry people. That's what he wants. Such the Father seeks. He wants worshipers who are hungry for the things of heaven, that want the things of heaven. And if you follow the line of Scripture, if you know uh, some of the stories of Scripture, you'll see a lot of power, a lot of manifestation of miracles, and a lot of times those miracles and the power of God came into our world through the hunger of someone else. They were hungry for it. They didn't care about the things that were going on around them. They pressed in and, and went for it. And this is what we want to do with fasting. We want to take some time and set some signs aside from our lives. And we want to pursue the Lord. We want to grow in intimacy. Fasting is not about being tortured, right? You know? And Isaiah 58, God tells the people they're talking about fasting. And they were putting on really, you know, dark clothes and putting ashes on their head and, you know, kind of walking around, dragging on the ground, making themselves look miserable. And the Lord's like, is you think this is what I'm asking for? You think I want you to fast so that you can look and feel miserable? That's not what I'm asking for. He's calling us to intimacy. He's calling us to this other place where we can grow in him and we're hungry and we, we, sh we shift our focus from this world to his world. That's what he's calling for. Jesus actually told them, when you fast, don't put on the, the crazy clothes. Don't throw dirt on your head. Don't let the world know that you look miserable. He actually said, anoint your head. Put on nice garments. Look good, right? So if you're going to fast during this 21 days, it's time to break out that bottle of perfume or cologne that you got for Christmas, all right? Don't put it on the shelf. It's time to, you know, splash it on, look good, feel good, present yourself in a way that doesn't look like you're miserable. And, oh, I wish I could have a hot dog. Every Friday I have to have a hot dog, but I'm not going to have one today. Do you want to know why? No, I really don't want to know why. Well, I'm going to tell you why. I'm fasting. <laughs> what is fasting? It's a refrain from food for spiritual purposes. Next slide. Shown throughout the scripture as a key to breakthrough and spiritual elevation. Every time God did something in the land, it astonishes me when I'm in the space of gospel people and Christianity, it absolutely astonishes me the lack of of fervency for God to do something in our world. It absolutely astonishes me that churches are believing God to do nothing, that Christians are believing God to do nothing. And, what is the, and that is the exact opposite. It's totally contrarian to what the Bible tells us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must believe him for something, right? That's the point. And it's absolutely astonishing and shocking from the leadership all the way down to the people. And the problem's always with the leadership. If the people are not producing what God wants, then the probably they're not being taught correctly or they're not being led into the spiritual things correctly. Churches believing God for nothing. And you know what we get? Nothing. We have to believe God and stretch our faith and press in for greater things. So fasting and prayer, every time you find revival, and what is revival? It means revive, new life. 
Every time God brings life to the Christian, brings life to the city, begins to transform culture, every time there's a revival or an awakening, it's preceded by fasting and prayer. If you want to study out every time God did a great move throughout Scripture, and I challenge you to do so, you'll find that somewhere in that thread there's fasting and prayer. Doesn't happen without it. Fasting is the mark of our lives. Jesus in Matthew 6, he's declaring the kingdom. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 4, 5, and 6, part of 7. It says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. So what's the indication here? When, not if. If you pray, no, he didn't say that, when you pray. So it's assumed that we're people of prayer. When you fast, so it's assumed that we're people who fast. When you give, so it's assumed that we're people who give and are generously supporting his work. When you do those things, do it this way. And that's when he was telling them not to fast. He's like, look, when you fast, look, I'm all down with the fasting and the prayer because I set that in order. But when you fast, don't look like, like somebody just hit you with a truck, you know. Look, look good, you know, bling. You know, so you're going to have a lot of energy when you're fasting. Your energy level goes up, you know. Your head gets clearer. You're going to have moments where you've got a lot of energy. You know, wear that, clo wear that shirt you never wore, you know, whatever. Clean your garage out. Use that, use that energy for something. I told Jerry, I said, I'm already making a list. So when I'm, when I'm, like, when I'm like humming, I'm going to like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to go, I'm going like, to you know, clean the garage out or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, it's boom. Um, but when you pray, when you fast, when you give. So it's a mark of our lives as a Christian. It's to be a part of the rhythm of who we are. If this is who we are, then this is a rhythm of who we are. And if Jesus calls us to do it, then he has something for us. Anything Jesus tells you to do, it's because he has something for you, right? Just to say this together. Jesus wants nothing from me, but he wants everything for me. That's the perspective. What he's asking from you is not his goal. His goal is not to get something from you. His goal is to move you into something for you. So that's when he tells you to do something or he calls you into something. It's not because he's looking for something from you. It's because he's looking for something for you. That's the difference. And so in Mark chapter, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of the day, and they fasted because, and they loved to fast and look miserable. They looked, they looked, you know, it was like, everybody, look how holy I am, I'm fasting. Dude, why are there ashes on your head? Because they used to put ashes on their head. Why are there ashes on your head? They're like, oh, I'm fasting, you know. Why are you wearing that black burlap bag? Because they would wear sackcloth. What sackcloth? I don't know, but it doesn't sound fun to wear, right? So they walk around with sackcloths and ashes on their head. And everybody go, oh, how holy they are. They were not fasting for intimacy with God. They were fasting for the praises of people. Oh, he's so holy. Look at him. And so Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees are coming. They're like, look at us. We're fasting, dude. I got ashes on my head and I got a black robe on. You know? How come you're not fasting? How come your disciples aren't fasting? What's the deal here? And Jesus reorients them and shows them the purpose of fasting. He said, my disciples are not fasting right now because I'm with them. Manifest presence. Presence that is known. That's what manifest means. His presence being made known. It's like my presence is known to them right now. I'm with them. They don't need to fast. They're with me. They're experiencing me. They're encountering me in the flesh right now. But the time's going to come when I go. And they're going to miss the manifest presence. They're not going to know. They're going to long for what they have right now. And there's many Christians who've never experienced the manifest presence of God because we're not hungry for it. God does not give anything that there's no food for or no desire for. 
It's how he is. He's that way. He's insanely generous, and he's insanely wealthy, and he is wealthy beyond anything you could possibly imagine, and he is more generous than you could ever possibly imagine. But he does not release his generosity unless it's desired. We have to hunger for it. His hunger, our hunger, is what pulls his world to ours. His, our hunger is what pulls his resources in our direction, whatever that may be. You'll see it throughout Scripture. I'll show you a couple stories today, and it all relates to hunger. And you'll go, where's food in this story? J Jesus is bringing up food. Nobody else is talking about food, but he is. But he's not so much talking about food as much as he's talking about hunger and desire. So they're like, why aren't you fasting? And Jesus is like, I'm going to go, and when I go, then my disciples will fast. Then they will long for me. Then they will want me. Then the well, only way we'll get that level of presence that they have right now is through prayer and fasting. They will increase it. They'll experience it. And that's really what it is, is it's the downgrading of the flesh and the elevation of the spirit. And we're so used to, in our culture, walking in the flesh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We don't even know what it says. The Bible says to deny your flesh. Literally says crucify your flesh. What the heck does that mean? It's fasting, among other things. It's the denial of the fleshly desire, what your body wants, what your emotions want. We don't know how to deny our flesh because we live in a fleshly culture. We live in a culture that's all about what we see, taste, touch, all about what we own, right? That's what it's about. But the Bible is calling us to something that's away from that. He's calling us into a depth of spirit. You can have all of the things and you can walk in the flesh. Even as a Christian, they're called carnal Christians. So it's possible to be born again and an heir to heaven and you can inherit heaven, but you have leanness in this life. You miss the destiny of God. God says he puts leanness in the soul of those that don't want him. And so while they may have salvation and you may have forgiveness and you may have all of the wonderful things that are going to be forwarded to you in the afterlife, you're going to experience a leanness in your soul in this life. We're designed to hunger for the things of his world. And that's what fasting does. It changes. I said a guy tell me, he said, man, I did that Daniel fast a couple of times. And he said, he said it shifted my whole life. He just talked to me by the back door. And he said, I, you know, it shifted everything. He said, I saw the Lord differently. I experienced God differently. And he said, I even began to eat differently. He said, when I went back to eating my old way, he said, I, I, just, I, just, I changed even the way that I'd been eating. And he said, it was just a, a, an altering thing. Fasting is designed to be alterating. So last week we talked about what the Father wants. Fasting is what the Father wants. And if you want the CD, we probably have one from last week. But it's talking about how, what God wants. God wants to do something in the land. We talked Second Chronicles. We talked Joel 2. Joel 2 is God does this great outpouring and he changes the land. He wants to do, God wants to do something in the earth. God wants to do something in the in the world. He wants to do something not just in your world or in the church world, but he wants to do something in the globe. He wants to. And Joel chapter 2 is a story of a great revival and a great outpouring, and the people are crying out, God change our world, God change our land, God change our city. And the Lord gives them instructions. And he says, call for a fast, call for a sacred assembly, assemble the elders and the people, assemble the children and the mothers, bring everybody together. Everybody fast. Let the priests who minister, that's all of us. If you're a Christian, you're a priest who ministers. You're a royal priesthood, according to Peter. And according to Coloss or Corinthians, you have a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. So every single one of you, let's just say it. I am, according to the Bible, a priest who ministers. 
All of us are. We're priests who minister. Let the priests who minister weep between the porch and the altar. Let them fall into the space that, it, that, that is between these two worlds. Let them fall into the space. Let them tear their hearts and not their garment. What does that mean? Let the things of God matter. So oftentimes the things of God don't matter to us. And let me just free you, okay, because you're human, right? I want you to be free for a minute, and I'm going to show you how to get past your humanity and into the spirit. There are times in your life where the things of God will matter. Then there are times in your life where the things of God won't matter. And you wonder, why don't the things of God matter to me? And so you know it's normal to the human condition. It's normal for the things of God not to matter to us as humans. It's normal because we're fallen race, we're self-centered, we're self-seeking. So don't beat yourself up. What the Bible tells you to do is tear your heart, rend your heart, and say, may God do what you've got to do, change what you've got to change in me, shift in what you've got to shift, and make what you care about matter to me. That's how you move. That's how you shift. That's how you relocate. You know, so a lot of times I've, I've just experienced a lot of Christians and they feel really guilty and really shame. Anytime there's guilt on your life, it's not of God. Conviction is of God, but guilt is not of God, right? Conviction means you need to change. Guilt means you loser, you, how dare you, that's guilt. Conviction is just simply the impression that you're not where you need to be and you need to change. That's conviction. That's of the Lord. But guilt and shame is not of God. And so I deal with a lot of, sometimes I hear Christians say, oh, you know, it's just, I just feel really bad, you know, it's just the things of God don't matter to me, or it's just I don't want God, or there's something wrong with me, I don't understand, and I'm like, rend your heart, tear your heart. What does that mean? God, make it matter. Lord, change in me what I can't change about myself. Tear your heart, not your garment. And so this whole idea of revival and God wanting to do something in our land, which he does, must be preceded by his people praying. There's something called a sovereignty movement. And if you were here a few months ago and I did all these complicated messages about theology and stuff like that, which are awesome, but they're not necessarily the rhythm of what I teach on Sunday morning, there's a sovereignty movement which just essentially says God's going to do what God's going to do. No, God's not going to do what God wants to do. God's going to do what he is invited to do. God's going to do what his people ask him to do. Bible says this, God wills that none should perish, but all should come to saving grace. What's the will of God? That every single person on the earth is saved. Is that a reality? No, but it is the will of God that everyone be saved. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen unless the people of God begin to pray and cry out for that and actually begin to, to, to reach out to the world around them. But the will of God is clear that everyone be born again. And so what fasting and prayer does is it aligns us with the purposes of God and asks the Lord and seeks the Father for what he wants. What did Jesus say? Your will be done, right? In heaven and in heaven. Is that what he said? He, he said, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he said. And so what's the deal? That when we pray, we seek the will of God that his will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So if it's God's will to do whatever he wants, why does he need us to ask for the will? He needs to ask us for the will because we are the stewards of the earth. The Bible says the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. You say, well, God says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, that's true, but he's entrusted it to us. He owns it all, right? Some of you got teenagers. You're the signer on the car. You own the car. But you throw them the keys and you're entrusting the car to them even though you own it, right? 
That's the idea. Jesus owns everything, but he's given us the keys. And he's saying, drive it where you want, go where you want, work, work it in this way. That's what it means. It's a partnership. Man was always created to be in partnership with the Father. Adam was created to be in partnership with heaven. That was the whole point. He was created to be in relationship with God, to know and walk in the heart of the Father, and to make the Father's will known on the earth. That is the same calling. That's what Jesus restored us back to. He restored us back to that position. That now we as his people, as his sons and daughters, hear the Father's heart and do what he wants in the earth. And he wants to do great things. More than you could ever possibly imagine. He wants to do amazing things with your life. He wants to do amazing things through your life. He wants to wonder. That's what the whole idea of wonder is about. So why do we fast? It's a precedent for revival. We fast to get closer to the Lord, to experience God and to know God in a way that we've never known him before. We experience him to be more in his presence and to know more of him. We, experience, we, we fast and we pray to know what his purposes are. What are your purposes for my life? What are your purposes in the world? What is your purpose for my family? We call on God and draw that. We fast for power. All of these things you can relate back to what happens when people fast. You can show it through the scripture that all of these things are evidenced through people fasting and praying. Fasting and praying changes the atmosphere and changes attitude. Fasting is the hunger for the things of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Fasting brings promotion. Anybody want heaven to promote you? Huh? I want a promotion from Jesus. You say, no, I want my boss to promote me. Trust me. Jesus' promotion is a lot better than your boss's promotion. Right? He, when he does, he doesn't take away. The blessings of the Lord are sure, and he adds no sorrow to them. Hello? In other words, he's not going to take your promotion away. He's going to promote you. He's going to increase you in influence and in wisdom and in insight. and in whatever, he, whatever heaven does and however you're designed, heaven is going to promote you according to the design and the purpose for your life. Aren't you glad? That's amazing. But it comes through fasting and prayer. Fasting in the scripture to the Old Testament, to a Jew, the word humility wasn't just, oh, I'm such a loser and fall on my face. The word humility to a Jew in particular was that they humbled themselves. They set their life aside to set God. And it often, and if not always, included fasting. So when Jesus declares, when Jesus says this, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted, we can relate that word humility to fasting and prayer. You're completely safe in the theological world with applying it that way. And so we can apply it that way. Fasting and prayer will exalt you. You're humbling yourself before God. You're saying, this doesn't matter, you matter. I humble myself beneath you. And the Lord says, lifts, he exalts you. Fasting brings promotion. Hello. So when you fast in prayer, some of you guys should be asking for promotion. You're like, I don't even know what to ask for. You just do this. Anytime I don't know what to ask for, I go, Jesus, you know what I need more than I know what I need. You know what you want to do more than I know what you want to do. So whatever way you want to promote me, Lord, I'm seeking you for that promotion. And let it happen. And let's just begin to agree with what he wants to do. He wants to promote you. Fasting brings intimacy. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. What's he teaching us here? He's teaching us that our hunger as believers are to hunger for him. More than we want the hot dogs and the hamburgers and the, you know, the, the, the hash browns, he wants us to hunger for him. And he's saying, listen, I'm the bread of life. I will satisfy you. 
I'm the one. And so when we fast, it's an intimacy. It's a shifting of desire. It's a, it's a changing of what feeds us. That's what it shifts. It shifts us in our hearts and our dependency. It literally alters our state. It's very neglected within the church, and it's neglected because it's a concealed thing. God hides things only and reveals them only to the hungry. It's true. There are lots of amazing things that the Father has that are revealed only to the hungry, only to the ones who pursue this, pursue it. Does he reveal it to? You're heirs to it all. Every Christian is heir to what God has, but we don't all experience it because our hunger is not for those things, you see. The Bible says it's the glory of the king to conceal the matter. It is the glory of king, or excuse me, the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of kings and queens. That's you. Divine royalty. You want everyone to be royal? You're royal. You're royal. Heaven sees you as royal. You should act like it. Stop acting like you're not royal. Act as if you're royal. Act as if you're dignified by heaven. Because you are. The angels don't see you as common. The angels see you as sons and daughters of God. The angels see you as royal. That's why they respond to your command. That's why they respond to the prayer. Because you are royal. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. Called out of darkness into marvelous light. In other words, stop living like you're not royal. Stop living beneath your calling. Stop living beneath your pay grade. Stop living that way. Shift yourself. Deuteronomy says he humbled you. God humbles us. If we don't humble ourselves, he'll humble us. And what is he trying to teach us through humility? What humility does is he teaches us that we do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes forth in the mouth of God. This is what the father wants from his children. He wants his children to know that you do not live by the hamburgers, the hot dogs, and the, and, the, and the hash browns. You do not live by CNN alone. You do not live by political systems alone. You do not live by stock markets alone. You do not live by market conditions alone. You live by what I say. That's who we are. We live. We're people of the book. We live by what he says. In him we live, move, and have our being. Our life is found in him. Our life is found in his word. Our life is found in his spirit. You have access to the world that no one else can. Do you have any idea, Christian, what the Holy Spirit means? The Holy Spirit means you have access to his world. Hello? People who don't know Jesus do not have access to his world. They don't get it. And what does it look like to have access to his world? I'm going to show you because you've all experienced it in one form or another. When you're worshiping the Lord and his presence is on you and you're like, Whoa! Oh, this is amazing. You know, the love is happening, the warmth, whatever it is, however you, the, you know, the goosebumps, I don't know, however you see, maybe it's just like this, you're just like, wow, I feel like I'm in another world, because you are. That is the experience of his world. That is the eternal world in which you and I will be a part of. That euphoric place that you find yourself in the spirit, first of all, that's your eternal identity, that's the real you, okay? I told first service, we all have two people. We have people that when we're in the spirit, we really, we're really into our, we're like, man, this is awesome. I love people. I forgive people. Then we have this other person that when we're not in the spirit, we don't even know if we would be friends with you. Okay? You look at yourself and you're like, man, I am such a jerk. I can't believe what I say. I can't believe what I do. I don't know if I would actually be my friend. That's the old you. The new you is the one that's in the spirit. That's the new you. That's what we have as Christians. It's an inheritance. 
It's your birthright. It's what Jesus died to give you. If he died to give it to you, it's more of that, Lord. Yes, please. I will have seconds. I will have thirds. Oh, there's another buffet line over here? Yes, I'll have that too. Fear not, little ones. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He is happy when you enjoy his fullness. He is not happy when you do not. He loves it when his children are come enjoying the fullness of who he is. He loves it. He's into it. He's like, yes. This is what I died to give you. I want you to have access to me. I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. I want you to know me and experience my life through you. Humility causes us to learn where we really get life. We don't draw life from any place else. We do not live by bread alone. Fasting for breakthrough. Fasting produces breakthrough. Let's just say it together. Fasting produces breakthrough. Say this with me. Fasting breaks the arm of the devil you say his head's crushed devil has nothing on me oh yeah oh yeah he has no right to you but that doesn't mean he doesn't give it his all he's a liar he's a thief and he's a squatter do thieves have a right to steal no yet he's a thief so what does that mean he has no right to steal from you but he does he has no right to oppress you but he does he has no right to access your territory, but he does. You have the authority. Here's a woman here that's in place, and she's a, she's a Syrophoenician woman, which means she was from Syria, and her descendancy, her ancestry was Phoenician, which means she was a dark worshiper. If the Jews worship the God of holiness, they worship the God of unholiness. Complete opposites. And so when the Bible says she's a Syrophoenician or she's from Tyre and Sidon, it's telling us something. This chick is out there. She's, yeah, she's out there. She's crazy town times 10. And she's probably a product of the culture in which she was born. She was born into a culture that was crazy. She had learned the crazy ways of the culture. And yet she's coming to Jesus with a problem. And she says, son of David, that's a messianic term. She calls him Messiah. She recognized who he was. She'd probably heard about him. She says, have mercy on me, for my, my daughter is sore oppressed by devils. Why was her daughter sore oppressed? Well, we have generational issues here. Her daughter is generationally oppressed from her family line that has worshipped darkness. Her daughter is generationally oppressed by demons from a family line that has, done every, that has renounced God and done whatever they wanted to do. And so she's, her daughter is in an oppressive state that no one can help her with. She's in a place where no the doctors can't help her, the psychologists can't help her, the culture can't help her, nothing can help her. No one can help her. She's in this place, and she can't get free. And we can be in those places, even as believers. We can find ourselves in environments and situations and emotional states or whatever it is, and we're in this place, and we can't get free. It is entirely possible. Christians, again, saved and born again and going to heaven, but in bondage. In bondage to thinking, in bondage to mindsets, in bondage and oppressed, and just, just the devil just wreaking havoc. And so she comes to Jesus and she says, help me. My daughter suffers terribly. What does Jesus do? He says, no. And so the disciples go and they go, get out of here, woman. She said no. He said no. Did she listen to that? She didn't listen to that at all. She went right past the disciples. She's like, excuse me. Ladies possess something that men so oftentimes don't. 
I'm serious, right? Women know what they want. And oftentimes they have this drive and this determination to get what they want. You see it all the time in the, in the New Testament. And every time you see it, it's the woman. It's the woman that's beating on the door going, you know, hear my case, Lord. It's the woman with the issue of blood that's shoving everybody out of the way to grab the robe of God. There's a woman. There's a woman here. Disciples are like, go away. He doesn't want to talk to you. And she's like, nope, that's not good enough for me. I need a word. She believed he was merciful. She believed he was generous. And she believed he was kind. She understood him. She understood him. She said, even though he says no to me, I know that this God, oh, I know that he is merciful. I know that he is generous. And I know that he is kind. And they kept, they told Jesus, Lord, get this woman out of here. And Jesus said, listen, lady, I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. What he's saying to her is I have no covenant agreement with you. There's nothing, you are asking me for something that belongs only to my children. You're asking me for something that is not your right. You are not born into what I'm offering. You have no right of access to these things. She said the bread is for the children. Where is she talking about food? Is there anywhere in that chapter that she's talking about food? She doesn't mention food, yet Jesus mentions food. He says, what you want requires hunger. What you want requires desire. The bread is for the children. And she said, yes, Lord, this is true. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus went, you are hungry. And he said, to go your way, you have what you've asked for. Hello. You see that? We're, you're not a Syrophoenician if you're in Christ. The bread is yours. But are you hungry for it? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you can have what the children have. You just have to be hungry for it. It's for you. Fasting produces breakthrough. Are you hungry for it? We oftentimes, and I know I'm guilty of this too, so I'm just going to give you guys the human side of this so you can understand. I, look, I'm a practitioner of this faith. I practice this stuff. I try to work it out. So that I can, I'm trying to call you to a living faith, right, and not a religion. I'm trying to understand that this, this God has called us to live this and experience this and walk this out, and it's not just a series of principles. It's real life. Oftentimes we think that it doesn't matter to God. I've been guilty of that. If, if, and I, I fight myself on this all the time. If this mattered, then God would do something about it. And the Lord's like, it's not an issue of it mattering to me. The issue is, does it matter to you? It's not an issue of it matters to me. Does it matter to you? That's the question. Woman with the issue of blood. Did it matter to Jesus that he would heal her? Of course it did, but did it matter to her? Was she willing to push past her place to that place? Did it matter to her? Blind Bartimaeus, same thing. Jesus walked right on by, right on by, until Bartimaeus cried out, said, do something. You're not leaving until you do something. Jacob, see the same thing with Jacob. The Lord wrestles with Jacob all night long, trying to get Jacob to change. Jacob doesn't want to change, and Jesus is like, then stay the same, and he leaves. How many times has God wrestled with you, and you don't want to change? How many times? You know what he'll do? He'll leave you the same. He'll leave you as you are. Because it doesn't matter to you to change. And he left Jacob. And Jacob was like, wait a second. I can't let this opportunity pass me by. And he grabbed him. And he said, do not leave unless you bless me. I'm not going to give up. And the Lord said, okay, you want, you want change? And he changed his name. He said, you're no longer Jacob. You're now Israel. It has to matter to us. 
We have to be willing for these things and pressing in and contending, and it's not easy. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What a picture. What's wrestling look like? Wrestling's like you got an armpit in your face. I mean, wrestling is up close, sweaty, and nasty. The promises require a street fight. It's a street fight, yo, right? That means there's no rules. The ancient world, you ever watch Turkish wrestling? That's what it looks like. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you've watched it. The Turkish wrestlers don't fight with rules. They bite, they kick, they gouge. So I would, I would argue with you that when Paul is talking about wrestling, he wasn't wrestling like our wrestling. It wasn't Saturday Night Smackdown. It was Turkish wrestling where there were no rules. Whatever it takes to get the victory is what it takes. And so we're called into a wrestling match to do whatever it takes to get the victory. Are you hungry for that? That's the question. Are you hungry for that? Is that what you want? You know, we get an armpit in our face and something smelly happens to us and we run away. Oh, God doesn't love me. God's like, you got an armpit in your face? Put an elbow in his. Right? That's the point. He's got you by your toe? Wrap his leg up around his head. You know, that's, that's what it takes. Contending, wrestling, fighting back. Oh, we're nice. We're Christians. Woo, 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 woo. You're worshiping fairy Jesus, people. Fairy Jesus. The Jesus of lollipops and pinwheels and popcorn. That is not the Jesus of the Gospels. Huh? When he returns, there's a prophet. There's a verse in the prophets. And they see a man walking through the valley. And his robes are red like ink. And they say, who are you? And he's like, I'm the Lord of glory. Where have you come from? He said, my robes are, so are soaked in blood because I've been trampling down my enemies. Fairy Jesus? Popcorns and pinwheels? I don't think so. He carries a sword. His eyes burn like fire, and out of his mouth comes a sword. And his eyes are flaming. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's got a tattoo on his thigh, yo. Blinging. And he kind of like whips the robe back. Yeah, check it out. That's right. <laughs> King of kings and Lord of lords. Make no mistake. He's a God of victory. He's a God of power. He's a God of passion. He wants giant slayer children. Even if you got just little tiny little swords and you just hold it up and go, this is all I got, but I'm going to put it up. He's good with that. We fight the good fight, right? How many analogies in the Christian faith and in the Gospels do we see where we have to fight? We have to contend. I'll give you another one. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Anybody know that verse? In other words, there is an opposition to you. There is something opposing you that's keeping you from being who you are. There's an opposition against you that wants to keep you from what God said you could have. There's an opposition. And what does it say? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Help me out. What's it say? The violent take it by force. The kingdom is accessed through the same kind of knockdown, drag out street fight that was required to get where you need to go. It's just how it is. Fasting brings breakthrough. Fasting brings revival. He gave the woman what she wanted. You don't think it's a street fight? How many of us, when Jesus goes, Lord, heal my daughter, and he just goes, no, and he walks away, and then the disciples are like, he said no, get out of here, woman, get out of here, and she wouldn't leave, and then they go back to Jesus, send Peter back. Peter, look, man, this lady, Peter loved to send people away from Jesus. You ever watch Peter? Peter's shoving everybody away, pushing people in the crowd, telling the kids, get these kids out of here. Jesus wasn't really the evangelist, okay? He was more like, get away from Jesus. And so probably Peter went back and said, Lord, you got to send this woman away because she's just bothering us. She just won't leave. 
And then she probably, when Peter left the line, she kind of followed Peter and went right up behind Peter and said, hey, Lord. And he looks at her and he says, listen, I don't have a covenant with you. You're asking me something that doesn't belong to you. You're asking me for something that's not yours by right. The bread is for the children. Are you hungry? This bread that you're asking me for is for the children. She's like, I'm asking you for crumbs. I'm willing to humble myself and ask you for crumbs because I know your crumbs are greater than the loaves that other people offer. A crumb from Jesus' table is better than a loaf from the devil's, I can assure you, a thousand times over, or a loaf from any table. Fasting brings revival. She meets a woman at the well. And he tells her, he comes, the Bible here is, it tells us what the indication is. Jesus was fasting not just for revival, but he was fasting to hear the voice of the Lord. Any of you facing great decisions, not sure where you're going to go, not sure what the next life plan is, not sure what the next step is, not sure what your lane is and how you're supposed to go, fasting and prayer. He's in some place called Samaria. And if you read the text, it says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Well, why did he need to go through Samaria? Because he was fasting and praying. And it shows us in this verse, he's indicating he's fasting and praying. So he's fasting and praying, seeking the will of the Father, and he gets an instruction from heaven to go through Samaria. And this is what biblical, this is what spiritual instruction looks like. We want the whole plan. Spiritual instruction looks like this. Go through Samaria. Okay, so we need to go through Samaria. Where are we going when we get to Samaria? I don't know, but we're going through Samaria. He gets to Samaria, seeking the will of the Father. What's the next step? There's a well over here. I want you to go sit on the well. Jesus goes and sits on the well. Well, what are we doing, Lord? You're just, we're in Samaria, and you're just hanging out at a well. Yeah, you guys go into town and get food. I'm just going to wait here. He's, again, discerning the will of the Father. The will of the Father was to go to Samaria. The will of the Father was to go to the well. And as he's sitting at the well, a woman approaches him, and he goes, this is the will of the Father. A woman coming to me in the middle of the day. A woman coming to me in the middle of the day because she was too shameful to come in the evening with the rest of the women. Here's a shameful woman, probably bound by guilt, probably bound by her life and everything. And he's like, this is the will of the Father. And Jesus starts engaging him with a, spirit, with a spiritual conversation. That's what it looks like. Fasting enables us to discern the will of the Father. Fasting enables us to hear the voice of God. Some of you have never heard his voice. Some of you, I know you hear him, but you're not sure that it is him. You question it. Christians hear your, hear the, you, hear, you have the ability to hear God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He said, my sheep might hear my voice. My sheep could possibly hear my voice. He said, you do. And so he goes, and if Jews show up, and, or the uh, disciples show up, and they're like, Rabbi, eat something, because he hadn't eaten. He's fasting. And what does he say? I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I'm feeding on heaven, gentlemen. I'm not interested in the happy meal. Thanks for it. I don't, I'm not really in the mood for chicken nuggets right now. I'm, fat, I'm feeding on heaven. I'm drawing the food of heaven. And my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You say, that's Jesus. No, Christian, that's you. Your food is to do the will of the one who sent you. You are called by God into this world, not to just occupy space and breathe air. That is not your call. You are called to fulfill the purpose and the destiny of your life. And if you don't know what the purpose and destiny is of your life, then you should revolt to re revert to default mode, which is the purposes and the will of the Father. That is your bread. That is who you are. That is the sustenance of your life, is to do the will of the Father. How do we know the will of the Father? How do we hear that it's through his voice? Mark 9. Oh, here we go. Mark 9. Hearing the will of God. This is what he wants. Hearing the voice of the Father. Jesus is dealing with a bunch of people in Mark chapter 9. He comes down from the mountain. He just expressed his glory. Goes back down into the valley. 
you're here on Sunday morning and you're experiencing the glory. And tomorrow morning comes the valley, okay? <laughs> Lots of crazy stuff going on in the valley. And so Jesus went down into the valley and it was chaos. A boy that kept, was having an epileptic seizure and foaming at the mouth and manifesting all this crazy stuff. And the father comes to me and says, hey, look, my son's got some demonic issues and your disciples can't help. And the Bible actually says that the disciples and the Pharisees were having an argument. So there's a theological debate going on and there's a bunch of powerless. And the Pharisees were probably like, look, there are no miracles. There haven't been a miracle in 500 years. So I don't know why you guys are trying to perform a miracle. And the disciples were probably saying, we have cast out more devils than you can count, and we're going to cast this one out. Yet they couldn't. And then Father comes and says, nobody knows what they're doing here. And all this is is basically an argument. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Boy falls down. Jesus looks at him and says, deaf and dumb spirit, come out. But before he says that, he indicts the whole generation. He says, faithless and perverse generation, a generation that has no faith, a generation that believes me for nothing, a generation that is perverse, and the word perverse is twisted. So what is he saying? You're a generation that will believe me for nothing, and you're a generation that is twisted in your understanding of me. You don't know who I am. That Syrophoenician woman knew who he was. He was kind, he was merciful, and he was generous. She knew who she was, who he was. And she pressed into who he was. They didn't perceive him that way, and he said, you're twisted in your understanding. Twisted. You think I don't care? You don't think I want to do something? You don't think I perform miracles? Are you crazy? You're twisted and perverse in your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're faithless. You believe me for nothing. And this is the condition that you find yourself in. The whole generation finds itself in a condition that has no faith and has no power and is a twisted distortion of who Jesus is. Hello. And he tells the spirit, he tells them, the boy's spirit is deaf and dumb. If you read Mark 9, there is no indication that the demon in that boy is a deaf and dumb spirit. I've been around devils, I've seen demonic deliverance, I've done a lot of it, and, I, and I've watched them manifest, and so it's like, you can get an idea of what's going on simply by the manifestation of how the demon is reacting. You can kind of get an idea of what's happening. And Jesus' boy's reacting, and if, you, if I was to look at that, I would go, okay, spirit of infirmity, epileptic spirit, some, something going on genetically here, the spirit's manipulating this, you could get that picture. But nowhere, if you were to look at that, would you say that spirit's a deaf and dumb spirit? You would never come to that conclusion, yet Jesus did. And why did he come to that conclusion? Because the, the deaf and dumb spirit was a product of a generation of, that was faithless and perverse. Because the generation didn't have any faith and they were twisted in how they perceived God, they no longer could hear God. They were deaf. And the whole generation was dumb. They were dumb to who God was and how to even follow him. Fairy Jesus, deaf to what he says, and Jesus cast the spirit out of the deaf and dumb generation. Why? so that the generation can again hear the voice of the Father, because it is in his voice that we follow. There's a deaf and dumb spirit in our land. And that verse in that chapter in Mark 9 tells us that generations only shift with prayer and fasting. The disciples said, how could we not cast it out? What was our problem? And Jesus says, this kind, what kind? Generational spirits that are deaf and dumb. A generational spirit that produces a deaf and dumb society. A generational spirit that produces a deaf and dumb culture. Deaf to God, dumb to God. That's the point. That type of spirit, can anybody think that our generation, that our, has anybody been paying attention in America in the last 10 years? Our, gen, our culture has shifted, right? But it's shifting in the wrong direction. God says the only way a generational shift occurs is if people will pray and fast. 
The only way we can shift a generation is if God can find a group of people that will believe him, not be faithless, and not be twisted in our perceptions and believe that God can shift the land in order that his voice can be heard and in order that his purposes can be made known. This, again, is the high calling of the church. This is the whole corporate high calling of the church. This isn't five days to a better job, right? All that's great. But that's basically lower-level Christianity. The higher-level Christianity that I'm is what I'm talking to you about. This is the ascending point that we are to take our roles as kings and priests. We are to take our position. Oh, my God. Whoo. I've been fasting, so it's like I'm like, bam. It's like I'm like, you don't think hunger pulls heaven? I'm like pulling him right now. I'm like, man. I'm going to calm down here. All right? so, <laughs> somebody tell me, keep going. Oh, thank you, two of you. Come on. Tell me, keep going. All right, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm a little long, but I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. We take our rightful place as kings and priests. We take our rightful place as sons and daughters, and we begin to believe God and begin to call on God to do what he wants to do in our land. Then things will change. Then things will change, but nothing will change until we do that. Nothing will change. This is our call as a corporate church. This is our call as a corporate people. Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name, if, everybody say if, if, if. what does that mean? Nothing is going to happen unless the if is met. If, if we don't do, there is no, there, this is a conditional promise. Humble themselves, they're against the word humility, they're against the word fasting, they're against the idea. If my people will call by my name, that's you and me, Christians, will humble ourselves and pray and seek the Lord, what he wants, and turn from our selfish ways, that's what we want, then I will hear from heaven. He won't win. He, there's no when if there's no then. When or when produces the then. When we fast and pray, then God responds. This is a conditional promise. It requires us to do something in order to activate it. It's called a key. The key to the kingdom. This is a key to the kingdom. That door opens when we put the key in. And what's the key? Fasting and prayer, turning to our turning to the Lord, seeking what he wants, not what we want. He says, then I'll bring forgiveness to the land and I'll heal the land. There's no healing in our land. The, the, the responsibility is on the church. The responsibility is not on the political process. If we can just get a man of God in the White House, well, good luck with that. That's not going to heal the land. If we can just get a godly government, that's not going to heal the land. It's when the people of God pray and fast, he'll heal the land. He says, my eyes will be open, my ears will be open, and I've, I've consecrated this temple. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've set you apart that I may be there. My eyes and my heart will always be there. We hear the Father's voice. It's salvation. Another aspect of, of, of it is salvation from those who are far from God. Reaping what we have not sown in other generations. I'm going to back up and tell you this because this is really cool. Jesus says, I've sent you out to reap what others have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you reap the benefits of it. Fasting enables you to reap the benefits that were sown by previous generations. There are things that have been sown. There is labor that has been made that is yet to yield a harvest. That somebody has not yield, not somebody has not reaped that harvest. And God says, I'm sending you out to reap what you have not sown. I'm sending you in to claim and to receive what you have not planted. And he's referring, of course, here to the prophets. He's referring, of course, here to all of those who had made all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament to prepare the way for Jesus to come so that the Messiah's voice could be heard. But there's spiritual implications to this as well. You can reap what other generations have sown. You can reap the benefits of the prayers of other generations. You say, what's that look like? I don't know, but it sounds really cool. You know? I don't know if it sounds really cool, but I want it. 
Anybody want that? <laughs> okay, here it is. How do we do it? Right, last slide. So we're going to do this fast, this 21 days. Most common question is, how do we do it? What do we eat? What's the deal? All right, so here's, this is a website. This HTTPS, this hypertext, um, is, uh, is, a, is, a is a location for a website of a woman who wrote a blog on the Daniel Fast. We didn't invent the Daniel Fast. She didn't invent the Daniel Fast. The Daniel Fast is found, of course, in the book of Daniel. And so she's just writing about, she gives a meal plan and sort of foods in the, on the website if you want to participate in that. That's a great place to go and check out some things of, uh, you know, the different types of foods and what you can eat and how you eat it and, you know. Bullet blenders are great. Anybody have a bullet blender? Yeah? Somebody over there got a bullet blender? Anybody got a bullet blender? One of you, two of you? Yeah, bullet blenders are awesome. They're great. Boom. Smoothies. You get, this, you get your salads. You get your fruits. You get your nuts all there in one thing. There it is happening. So the Daniel Fast is, a, is the meal plan. Drink lots of water. Have a prayer plan. What's the prayer plan? Scheduled to come on Friday night. You're like, I got to come to prayer on Friday. No, you don't have to. You got to. And it's like, oh, why do I have to come to prayer? Has it come to that, really? I mean, are we really at that place? Prayer plan. Schedule time for prayer reading. Some of you, you work jobs. You want to participate in the plan. What's that look like? It looks like you're probably going to have to eat salad in the car or your fruit or whatever it is you're eating that day, your smoothie in the car. Why? Because somebody's going to come in with pizza that day, you know? Somebody's gonna show up at the office with beefsteak Charlie's or whatever, they're gonna come in and, you know, lasagna, magically a smorgasbord is gonna appear in your workplace that was never there before. Just in time for this 21 days. You may get it all week long. All week long, yeah, we're gonna cater lunch here all week long, you know? So you're probably gonna have to kinda, you know, and you should probably try to partner up with some people and say, hey, let's do this together. So schedule the time for prayer. Have a prayer plan. Have a prayer uh, for, for prayer, for reading. You can go on version. It's an app. If you don't know it, you just go into App Store or the Google Play or whatever it is you use. If you have a phone or a tablet or even a laptop, and you go to version, you like version, and there's a whole Bible in there, a whole Bible plan. You can program a, a Bible reading plan. You can do a 21-day New Testament plan. It'll program it for you, and guess what? It does everything for you except turn itself off. It'll actually remind you, so the, it'll, it'll pop a reminder up on your phone with a link. Hey, Kevin, read Dan you're supposed to read John 1, 2, and 3 today. And I just hit the button, and boom, up pops John 1, and I start reading. There's actually links on there where it's audio Bible, so you don't even have to, if you don't want to read it, it'll read it for you. I mean, what else, what else, what else do we need? You know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like, boom, well, I don't feel like reading. Well, just listen to it then. Have a Bible, because it's all about drawing close to the Lord. Worship. Get some music together, whether, whatever floats your boat, whether it's Jesus culture, Hillsong, if you're a Gaither person, right? I know some people are really into bluegrass gospel. Whatever, whatever kind of, you know, gets you there, gets you into the spirit, connects you with the Lord. Feed on these things. Feed on prayer. Feed on reading. Feed on things. Write things down. You should get a spiral or a journal or something and write down when you're reading. Write down things that are coming to you. Write down questions you may have. Write down visions or purposes that God may give you. Believe God to show you something. Believe him to show you something, right? Christians, so you know, visions are in the Bible. There is such a thing as a vision. God imparting a vision or showing something to you. There's visitation things that are in the Bible, Old Testament and New don't, you know, experiencing God and writing down, he's like, man, I just feel like, I feel like I'm supposed to write a book. I don't even know, you know, what, whatever it is he's showing you, write those things down. Write down what he shows you. Write down the instructions. He may start dealing with you in issues of your life. 
He may start showing you unforgiveness that you need to forgive someone. And you might start the journey of, Lord, I don't even know how to forgive this person because every time I think of them, I just, like, hate them. And I want to, you know, I have visions of running them over with a truck, you know. I mean, let's just be honest. That's how we are at. And so, God, you know, and just having God journeying through these areas of forgiveness, that's what it looks like. So journaling, praying. Also, if you didn't sign up for the email, if you don't get the email, my, my goal is to begin to email you guys resources try to encourage you whatever layer you land on with this fast but we want to believe God for something and we want to do it together and it's a corporate thing so anybody want to do this yeah let's do it you know and again I encourage you I encourage you come on if you want to do the full 21 days then do it if you want if you don't feel like you can handle it like I said just start where you're at and say okay I'm going to go the first three days and see where I am and then you go three days, and you go, okay, I'm going to go five days and see where I'm at. All right, I'm going to go, sell, you know, just, just try to figure it out. Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, Friday, you know, just find a place, but do something. Do something. We all may not be able to do everything, but we all can do some things. Correct? All right, so we're going to pray. Normally, we'll close with an invitation, but I just want to pray, close with a prayer of blessing over you. Thank you for bearing with me. I just want to impart grace to you. Father, I just bless these people. I bless your children. I bless your 